All right, am I good? Oh, yeah, I got it this time. Took me a while to figure out how to make the microphone work in the second service, or first service. This is the second service, right? Yeah, um, I'm back. And, and it's good to be back, good to see everybody, and, and uh, I want you to know, really appreciate everything that um, we were able to do over the last three months, the sabbatical that the church gave us, it's, it was a, a wonderful time, and I'll share with that over the next few weeks, kind of going, but as, as we get started today, I want to mention our fish fry is next week, if you've never been to the fish fry, we have a halibut fish fry every year, and, uh, the week after Labor Day, and we kick off all of our small groups, or life groups, got to get the word right, so make sure that, that that's right for Roy, but, but you can sign up for those out in the hallway out there in the foyer um, after the service, and, and um, the other thing is, is on the connect wall over here, there's sign-ups to bring desserts, salads, uh, the church provides all of the fish, all the French fries, and everything, but we need uh, um, burners, fryer pots, um, and propane bottles, and, and those things. So if you could sign up, if you have one of those to bring, because it's always good to have, you know, a lot of fish going all the time so we don't run out. And, uh, you know, fried food, you just can't beat it. Um, <clears throat> anyway, there we are. So fish fry next next week. It's going to be a great time. I want to thank the leadership team and the staff, Roy and Greg, for all that um, they did this summer. They took care of everything. I mean, they, they really took care of, of everything that happens. And, and there was a whole lot of stuff to cover. Um, I, I came back. I did a couple of funerals and, and some things that, that we had that, that happened because um, being here and folks that I've known for years. So. Um, it, it was a lot, but, but they made sure that it was possible for, for Trish and I to be totally unplugged, and um, I'm really appreciative, really appreciative of that. And Roy told me he's really glad that I'm back. So, and then Greg, he just left. Um, <clears throat> you know, um, just kidding. He's, uh, he's, they're on their way to Nebraska. They're somewhere in the Black Hills or something today. But, uh, but, it, but it was great. Um, the leadership team did a great job of taking care of things. Also, they've done a lot this summer. Um, one thing that they did, they, they have asked Amy to supply as, as um, coordinating worship until we can find someone to come in and uh, take, take Greg's place. Obviously, we can't replace Greg, but, um, but on the other hand, we know that God has a plan and a purpose for us, and we'll seek, uh, seek the man that God would lead us to to do that and and in the meantime Amy is going to fill in it's it's a pretty um, it, it takes a lot there's a lot of moving parts that that bring it together every week there are about 30 people who are somehow involved in, in putting the worship service together every week think wow that sounds like a whole lot well I pretty much do my part um, most of the time and and uh, and then I'm, I'm in that group but there's 30 people and in, in, in it all goes out so we coordinate everything that's that's going on with the music the message and and um, and then the different people who come in to play and whatnot so it's it's a pretty detailed thing besides just doing the Sunday morning thing so you may see somebody else up here leading or or whatever um, in, in the interim time but uh, but we we've asked Amy to do that and, and she's doing a great job and I'm looking forward to what God's going to do there so um, as, as we come in, I'm going to wrap up. I'm not going to wrap up First Peter today, but, but we will over the next couple of weeks. We're going to be in First Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 12 through 19. And, uh, and the most important thing that happened this summer is we have a grandson. That's the most important thing. 
So, you know, everything else, it's, it's all, you know, it's all kind of a blur, but um, slowly I'll remember everything that happened. But we've got the most amazing grandson, little Cameron, and, um, and, and uh, you, he was in the first service here this morning, but uh, that's been way, way more fun than anything. So um, anyway, um, in 1 Peter 4, verse 12 through 19, Peter wrote, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also be glad and rejoice when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Okay, I want to look at, at, at four things here. But, but um, as, as Greg's gone through this over the last month, um, there are four themes, in it, uh, three themes in the book of uh, 1 Peter. Suffering for God's glory, Christians as mediators of heaven, and um, that visible faith is an evangelistic tool, or so our faith is something that draws people to Christ. So um, maybe if you notice or don't notice, I don't really say things quite like Greg does. I don't know as many big words. But, um, but anyway, we're going to come in and look. The first thing is in verse 12, to expect suffering. Expect suffering. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that there are things coming your way as, as if this was something strange. This is something that is common and always has been common with the people of God is that they face trials and, and difficulties. So we are to expect it. Suffering is a part of following Jesus. Jesus is described as a suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. If we come over to Isaiah chapter 53, um, and you read, this is all about Jesus, and it says, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, for Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground and had no majesty or form that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the righteousness of the, my people, then they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, 
he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So this is, this is Jesus, and, and he is described in, in Isaiah 53 as the suffering servant. It is it's one of the famous passages in the Bible, but it really makes sense when we talk about suffering. If, if we're called to follow Jesus, that we're going to face trials, and we're going to face difficult decisions. We're going to face hard times in life, because that is how Jesus lived. And, and we're in a culture that's rapidly leaving any sense of absolute truth and, and instead looking at what's going to make me happy. And so we're standing in this place now as the people of God where we <clears throat> are standing on something we call absolute truth. We're standing firm on something called the Word of God that we believe does not change or shift. And, and regardless of where our culture goes, we're standing and staying in this same stream that Christianity's flowed in for over 2,000 years. So that's, that's the plan and the purpose of God. And God's saying to us through his word that as you stay in that stream, as you follow me, as you walk with me, as you look different from your culture, it's going to cause problems. There are going to be people who don't understand it. There are going to be people who will fight against that. There are going to be people who want to crush you, just like they crushed Jesus. So, so this, is, this is what it is there, and, and what the Scripture is telling us is this is part of the plan and purpose of God. Just as Jesus suffered and died, he did that according to the plan and purpose and the will of God to bring glory to God and to bring us to him so that we could be made holy and blameless before God. So as we live in our culture, Peter is warning them and he's warning us that we're at odds. We're at odds with the culture around us. We are at odds with the values around us, with the ethics around us, with the morals around us. And that as we follow God and live in that, that we just need to understand that it will cause ripples. But live your life in such a way as to draw others to Christ. This is what we're called to do. In 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, he put it this way earlier in the in the book, he said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And, and we need to remember that, that as we come in there, he says, we do this, this will glorify God. And, and to remember that we're outsiders. And as outsiders in a culture, a culture that... We are citizens of the kingdom of God, and that is our allegiance is fully to God, not to anything around us, but instead to him. It means that we're going to be tested with fiery trials because we're following Jesus. In John 15, 18 through 20, it's, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. 
So the thing to remember is this isn't an if they persecute you statement. This is a when they persecute you statement. It's not an if this is going to happen. It says it will happen. This will happen. These are things that as a Christian you're going to butt up against. Even in a culture like ours where we have freedom to assemble, freedom of religion, freedom of thought, all, all of those things that we call, even at that, when, when you come in and, and you start living a Christ-like life and you begin to walk on that straight and narrow path, you're going to see that there are people who don't like that. They're offended by that. And they want to crush that. So he says, expect, expect it. Expect it. And he goes on in verses 13 and 14. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now this, he says, don't only expect it, embrace it. Embrace it. Lean into it and say, this is good. This is good that I am in this place. It's good that this is taking place. Rejoice when you suffer for your faith. The rejoicing isn't because you're suffering, but because your faith in Jesus is the reason for it. I mean, it'd be kind of dumb to say, man, I, I just love it when I'm getting hammered on every side for my beliefs. I just love it when, when I'm being um, treated poorly. No, nobody likes that. But when it's on account of the word of God and it's on account of following Jesus said, rejoice and be glad that you're counted worthy to suffer. Rejoice and be glad that you belong to me. And, and Jesus put it this way, Matthew 5, 11 and 12. He said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is, is saying this, and it's possible. The reason it's possible for us to do this is because we know we have something greater. We have something greater in the present, and we have something greater in the future. God has an eternal reward for us, rather than something that's here today and gone tomorrow. Look, everybody wants to be happy. We all do. And, and we seek that in all different kinds of ways. Everything we do, we're, we're seeking some kind of happiness. But, but we need to seek that in Christ. When we seek that and find that in Christ, not only is it satisfying in the moment, it's satisfying forever. It's eternally satisfying. It is something that, that builds us up and strengthens us. It's not something that's here today and gone tomorrow. And these new believers, they were being rejected by their neighbors, the people in their community, because of their faith in Jesus. These were people who, just a very short while, they were a part of everything that was going on. And now they've become followers of Christ and they've changed. They've changed in the way that they live. They've changed in their marriages. They're committed to one another in their marriage. They're committed to one another in fidelity. They're committed to a different sexual ethic. They are committed to a different moral lifestyle. They're committed to a different type of citizenship, to being good citizens in their community. They're committed to doing and fulfilling the righteous and holy laws of God. So this is a difference in, in people around them. They're, they're put off by it. Like, who are you? You, you used to be, you, I mean, what, what makes you think you're better than us? Why, why do you do this? Why, why, I mean, I, I know what you used to be like. 
And, and in that, they were saying, you know what? Yeah, but, but Jesus changed me. And now I know, now I know that where I was living before, how I was living before, is not going to ultimately lead to my blessing or the blessing of those around me or the blessing of my family. <clears throat> so the reason, the reason that they can rejoice he says, is because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon them. This is just a simple thing. The spirit of God and the spirit of glory is resting upon you. When we come in to this place and, and we have become the temple of God, one of the themes of the book is that, that we are the mediators of heaven to the world around us, that we are mediating Christ to those around us. We are mediating the kingdom of God to the people around us, and we are living lifestyles that, that lead to human flourishing. Not, not our culture, not their ethic, not their, not their things that change and move and ebb and flow with however the, the mood of the day is. Look, I, I mean, the, the world is constantly changing, right? Constantly. Right and wrong in our culture is constantly changing. You say, well, no, how, how can right and wrong change? Well, Look, you just look around. They're, they're, our culture is just like the culture of the first century, and in the culture of the first century, there was no absolute truth. I mean, when here, you know, they said truth. What is truth? And, and, and it was just a moving target. And, and in a lot of ways, our culture has embraced that. And if, if you want a real easy one, just look at... Um, what was considered right 50 years ago versus what is considered right today. You, know, you may think, well, 50 years, somebody can go, 50 years, man, that's a long time. No, really, it's not. I entered my seventh decade last week. Do the math. I can remember 50 years ago very clearly. And, and the things that are common and accepted today were not only uncommon they were hidden because it would be shameful in the culture you see the culture changes and 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 the reason that the culture changes is the culture is not founded on the word of god but the church is the kingdom of god is founded on the word of god the people of god are, are based in the word of god and, and this is where he's saying he's saying because when when you share in the sufferings of Christ, you're experiencing the glory and the presence of God and His Spirit is resting upon you and we have become the temple of God. He is dwelling in us and, and His presence is in His people so that His people can make Him known to the world around us so that they can be drawn to Christ and experience the blessing of God. And then he goes on to tell us to examine ourselves. Examine yourself in verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So he comes on and he says, don't confuse suffering for your faith with being stupid. I mean, that's just a blunt way to put it. Don't consider suffering for your faith with being stupid. And, and, and what he says is, he gives, he gives some examples of, he says, 
if you suffer, don't suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. And you go, well, none of us are doing those things, right? We don't have any murderers, thieves, or evildoers. And then he throws in the last one, or a meddler. You go, oh, man. You know, you ever stick your nose where your nose shouldn't be? You ever talk about things you shouldn't talk about? That's a meddler. And, and that probably infects churches more than anything, right? I mean, he says, don't do that. He says, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. That's, just, that's, that's the way I would interpret it. You, you're smarter than that. You're, you're wiser than that. You have a better understanding than that. Don't have your suffering be self-inflicted. You know, don't shoot yourself in the foot would be another way of putting it, right? Don't, don't be foolish. Be wise. Be wise in the way that you live, in the choices you make, in the things you say, in, in the attitudes that you have, in, in the way that you treat others, in, in the way that you treat your marriage, in the way that you hold your family, in the way that you live in your job and carry out your work. Be be very diligent in that. Be wise as you do that because, you see, following Jesus will force us to stand firmly on God's Word and not on the philosophies of man. It's going to force us to do that. It's going to force us to take stands that, that are at odds with the people and the culture around us, and we are called to not confuse the Word of God with our preferences. My preferences and the Word of God don't stack up. They are not the same thing. The Word of God is life. The Word of God is truth. The Word of God is my hope and my future. My preferences, it's just stuff I like. So, you know, that, that's just it. You know, I have preferences for who wins the football game and whatever. But, you know, I don't think God really cares. He has a plan and a purpose, and that plan and purpose is for us to represent Him in our community, in our world. And we need to know that where God's Word speaks, we stand firm and refuse to budge. Where, where God's Word speaks, we stand firm. We stand firm on, on the words, the way that God has called us to live, the way that He has called us to act, the way that he has called us to treat other people. He says, you stand firm. And it means that there are times that we'll take a stand that's counter to our culture. We see that with Christian people today, even in our country, you know, and we're rolling through the courts and different things are refusing to participate in certain things. And they're saying, hey, you can't do that. And we say, oh, yes, I can. I say, even if I lose, I'm, I'm still, I'm still going to win. Because I'm standing firm with God. And when I stand firm with God, I don't really care what you say. I don't care what anybody says. When I stand firm with God, ultimately, ultimately, not only will I be vindicated, but I will be rewarded. That's the promise and the hope of God. So we don't participate in activities or events that run counter to, cult, to Scripture because we know that they don't lead others to Christ. They don't lead to human flourishing. 
but rather they lead to destruction. You see, when we live in the Word of God, when we live ethically, morally, and, and socially in line with the Word of God, you know what it does? It leads to human flourishing. Why do you think we live in this country where we can worship freely, where we can gather like this, and we're not um, in, in, in a place like, say, Afghanistan where Christians are afraid they're going to come door to door and kill them? It's not because we have a great democracy. It's because we have something that's built on principles that are found in Scripture. It's not the wisdom of man. It's just, this is just the way that it is. And, and when we try to veer from that, what we're doing is, is we're saying we're moving to a place of oppression, not to a place of freedom. Freedom is found in the Word of God. It's found in those confines. It's found where God made us and created us to be and to live because God loves us. He wants to bless us. He wants to experience everything. He didn't send us a, a, a book of rules. He sent us a Savior to redeem us and to restore us and to make us whole and to help us to experience life the way that He created us to. So in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul put it this way. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. He said, look, if, if, if you're living this life and you're examining yourself and you're seeing that your life doesn't stack up with the Word of God, but instead it stacks up with the culture, if your life stacks up with something besides Jesus, then you're not authentic. And if you're not authentic, you're not real. And if you're not real, you don't belong to me. And one of the things he says is, um, are you suffering for following Jesus? Are you getting some pushback for it? Is there some pushback happening? If so, understand that in that you're glorifying God. You're glorifying God through that. And you're also being affirmed as his child. Not only are you glorifying God, but it's one of those things where God says, you know what? This is just one of those things that says you belong to me. You belong to me. You're my child. And you know what? You may have had a rough day, but tomorrow I'll be with you too. And I'll be with you the next day, and one day you'll be with me in, in my presence, face to face. That's the promise of God. And <clears throat> our judgment is far different from those who are not followers of Jesus. This, this is what he comes in. In the last, he says, um, <clears throat> he says uh, for it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. What, what God is saying is, is he's constantly sifting us. He's working in our lives to remove the sin that tears us up. It destroys us. It destroys the very, very fiber of, of what builds strong families and strong societies. And, and as we come in and we begin to understand this, and, and I would say marriage is one of the biggest things there that when we understand what Christian marriage is and what it means, that, that this is something that produces safety and security in the home for men and women, for children, and brings them up in, in a place of nurture. And <clears throat> he's saying that um, this, this is something 
that we're trusting God with and <clears throat> that um, as we suffer, we're being refined and made more like him. And he says it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God as we begin to root those things out. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, for those who know God, he's constantly refining you and making you more and more and more like him. The fancy word for it is sanctification. It means that we're being made more and more and more like Christ. The day you came to know Jesus until the day you die, he's doing a work in you. None of us will ever quote, arrive and be perfect. But in that process, he is making you more and more and more and more like him. You may think, wow, he's a preacher and, and he's got it all together. Look, I'm just telling you, every single day, God says, you know what? Here's someone, something you need to work on. Here's something you need to work on. Here's something you need to work on. And that's a good thing. Because it, it, it reminds me that I belong to Christ and that he won't let me stay where I am. Instead, he wants to move me closer to him. So, th so that's, that's the hope. And he says, that's it. And, and this is through sacrifice. It was through the sacrifice of Christ. And it's through us as we sacrifice our, our own desires. And instead, lean in to him. And he says, the ungodly or the sinner, they'll be eternally condemned. He said, we are being sifted, changed, sanctified. But the ungodly, they have no hope. They have no hope. And then he goes on and he, and he finishes up in verse 19 with, with entrust yourself to God. Entrust yourself to God. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter finishes it with a reminder to entrust ourselves to God. Entrust ourselves to God. It, it was something he had understood for a long time because it has its origins in Scripture. He understood that as, as a Jewish man, as, as a young man growing up in, in Judaism, he understood it as a follower of Jesus when he began to follow Jesus and, and he became a Christ follower. He understood that as a Christian. He understood that. He knew it. And this is something that, that really, if you go back in Psalm 31, 5, he, he, um, the psalmist wrote, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord faithful God. Peter understood this. Into your hand. I trust you. I'm entrusting my life to you. I'm entrusting my salvation to you. I'm entrusting my hope to you. I'm entrusting my future to you. I'm entrusting my wife to you. I'm entrusting my children to you. I'm entrusting my grandchildren to you. I'm entrusting that if I am faithful to you, I have nothing to worry about. I am trusting that you are always faithful to me. And this is where he finishes. It means we're trusting God with the results of our faithfulness. And, and the current cost may seem high. It, it really might. It, it might seem high. The, the monetary cost. It, it could be the cost of your job. It, it could be the cost of a lot of different things. 
But, um, but the eternal result is beyond anything we could imagine. It's beyond comprehension. Absolutely beyond comprehension. God is faithful and he will accomplish his plans and his purposes in us and through us. In us and through us. In the testing of our faith, here's what the testing of our faith does. When we come into these fiery trials, when you come into those situations in life where you wonder, you know what? God, what am I going to do? I am walking through some very hard, dark times, tough decisions, tough things, tough actions, tough calls I'm having to make. And, and what he's saying is, is it purifies us. It purifies us. It purifies the church. And it enables us to break free from sin, from the sin that so easily entangles us and sucks us down and takes us under. You see, suffering is something that we've all experienced at one time or another. We've all experienced suffering. That's part of the human condition. That's just part of the human condition. Look, somebody wants to tell you you can have your best life now, that's a, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You don't get your best life now. You don't get that. That's health, wealth, and prosperity. And health, wealth, and prosperity is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus didn't come so that you could be healthy. I promise you, every single person in this room will die. Every last one of us will die unless Jesus comes first. That's the only out. I don't care if you're a vegan or you, you, know, you exercise every day or whatever you do. Uh, it doesn't matter. You're just, you're just putting off the inevitable. We're all going to die. Jesus died and rose to new life. We're, we'll experience sickness. I mean, death is the ultimate sickness. Um, not everybody will be wealthy. We, we live in a country where, yeah, pretty much everybody in the room's rich. You know, we just are. We don't have to worry about where our next meal's coming from. We're good. But <clears throat> but suffering is a part of the human condition. It just is. Everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. And 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 if you say, well, no, man, you just haven't lived long enough. Trust me, we all suffer. We lose people we love. We experience physical afflictions. Now, we, we had four people die in under two weeks in our church this summer. Four people. From COVID. And Chris had a, a massive stroke. Life-changing event. COVID. Quick. Fast, never see it coming on the radar. We lose people we love. We have physical afflictions. Mary Rosen, she's, her elbow, she's been in and out of the ER. So they, we have surgery. They've done surgery on an elbow twice in a week to clean infection out from rheumatoid arthritis. Terrible suffering. I mean, she's experienced terrible suffering. 
now if you're on the prayer team, you've gotten the prayer teams. Al Howard's been in for months. Um, they've amputated part of his leg. I mean, it's just bad. It's just bad. That's suffering. Separated from his wife most of the time because they can't just travel in and out of the, you know, the, the facility that he's in. Suffering. People suffer. People we know suffer. We suffer. It's just part of life, right? I'm encouraging you, aren't I? Yes, welcome. <laughs> and there are many difficulties that we face. Look, people, you know, you face difficulty with your kids, things happen, you know, maybe parents, what, you know, workplace things. We all experience stuff in life. And Peter's coming in and saying, look, when, you, when these trials come on you, don't let it hammer you to the ground. Man, just understand that the Spirit of God and the glory of God is resting on you as you go through it. As you go through it and you suffer well. As you do it well. As you do it to the glory of God. As you do it understanding that you're not walking through the valley of the shadow of death alone. Because He is with you. He will comfort you, he will walk with you, and he will be with you over on the other side. You see, suffering as a Christian is something that, we, that will build our faith and give us hope in the midst of it all. So I'll finish with a story from a day I had a, a while back. It's been a couple years, three years, I don't remember how long ago it was, but it was a while back. A while back, I, <clears throat> every month I go, I go to a meeting, and, and um, it's an oil field meeting, and I open it up in prayer as a chaplain. So I go and I open up their meeting, you know, and um, it, it's a different deal. So it's a different crowd, and, and I was in that crowd for a long time. So I know the crowd really well, so it's a different deal. So, so we go in and we open up, and, and this time I'm, we're out in McKiskey, at some place out in McKiskey where they had a venue for us to meet, and, and we were meeting there with um, all the people, Cook Inlet Offshore Group. So these are all the people that run the platforms out, out in the inlet. So all these guys are out there, production foremen, the supervisors, um, workers, and everybody's in there. And, um, and I'm, I'm standing there waiting to do my part, which is open a meeting in prayer. And uh, before I open up the meeting in prayer, the guy who's leading it, who is the president of the company here in Alaska, he says, hey, before Scott prays, do any of y'all have any prayer requests? And I was like, whoa, this just turned into a prayer meeting. This, this I mean, it, it was, and, and I'm telling you, I was taken aback, but I, let me tell you what, there were a lot of eyeballs out there that were the size of silver dollars. I mean, they were like deer caught in the headlights. It was kind of like, oh my gosh. As a matter of fact, there was a guy here in the first service who was there, and I, and I laughed, I said, Wayne, what did he's like, oh yeah, I was a deer caught in the headlights. And and um, and Wayne wasn't going to church at the time. So, you know, he's he's come here since that point. But but anyway, I was blown away. Now here's why I was blown away. This is a guy, he's just a guy who's going to work, doing his job, and and um, and he's got a lot of influence. 
I mean, he might be down in Juneau meeting with the governor, talking about, about oil and gas policy or whatever uh, the next day. And, and he's, he's doing well. He's doing really well. And you know what he's doing? He's using his influence. He's using his influence for the kingdom of God. In that moment, he's using his influence for the kingdom of God. And I was just shocked because uh, there were many times where, where when I came in, he set the table for me. He set the table for me to do what I do. And, and that's what God calls us to do in the workplace, no matter what you do. Because, you know, a lot of times we think that, that serving God is something that we do on Sunday morning. No, serving God is, is rarely done on Sunday morning. Serving God is Monday through Saturday, right? It's when you go to work. It's when you care for people. It's when you show people the love of Christ. It's when you live your life in such a way that, that people go, what's wrong with them? That they have this hope. That they have this joy. That they have this ethic. That they would take time to pray at a company meeting. So that, that's interesting, but, but he's the one who got that rolling to where now I missed last month's meeting because I got an email that said, hey, due to COVID, you know, we're doing it all online. I didn't go. Well, and then I heard, where were you? I was like, well, you told me not to come. I said, no, 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 you come. And, and one of the guys said about halfway through the meeting, said, hey, what's the deal here? Aren't we supposed to open in prayer? This is the oil field, man. Seriously? But, but that's it. That, that, that's just the thing. I was incredibly encouraged by that. I, I left. I, I got off of that. I, got, I, I had a phone call. There was, um, uh, you know, it had a tragedy. I don't remember exactly, but there was a death. I was outside. It was a beautiful day, an absolutely beautiful Alaska summer day. I was walking out on the green grass, sunshine burning hot, just great, making phone calls, you know, doing the phone calls. After, after I pray, look, I check out of the meeting. I read a book, I work on a sermon, I do something. I don't listen to those meetings. Um, I, I mean, it doesn't affect me. I don't, I don't need it. Um, not that it's not interesting or good, but I'm not, I'm not the guy doing the stuff that they need. That I, they don't need me to listen to the meeting. And then, after that, I left. And, um, and, and I'll just say, Randy's, Randy had asked me to come um, out and visit with them. And his sister was there. Randy's sister, Rhonda, was, um, she had terminal cancer, brain cancer. And, and um, it was close to the end of life. And he asked me to come out and visit with them. And I'd come out. And, um, I, you know, going into that, you don't ever know what's going to happen when you go make those visits. I'm just telling you, I always enter those with, with, with um, just, just a knot in my stomach. And I walk in. And this lady comes up to me and throws her arms around me and hugs me. Hey, I'm Rhonda. I'm Randy's sister. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the middle child. You know? you know what the middle child is, right? They're like the meat in the middle of the sandwich. The older one and the younger one, they're just bread. I'm what matters. And, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of something goofy like that, she said. But it was just funny. I remember her saying that. And she was just on top of the world. 
And, and, um, and we talked, and I'm thinking, wow, and, 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 you know, she's talking about her faith, and she's talking about the goodness of God and how that this has been something that, that, that was diagnosed years ago, and God gave her the years to live through it, to raise her children so her husband didn't have to do it alone, and that she knew that she was, the time was, the clock was ticking down, and here's what she said. She said, I'm not worried about where I'm going. She said, but I've always been nice. I've always been nice to the people who have taken care of me. And, and they always say, you know, it's always weird because right whenever you come out of anesthesia, you're thanking people. You know, and that's not the norm. You know, people come out, I mean, I remember coming out, I don't really remember much about coming out, it was, it was so rad, but it's kind of like, you're in a fog. said, you know, she's just, um, she said, I'm thanking people and being nice. And, and, and she said, you know what? She said, I know I have brain cancer and, and I'm so afraid that I'll be mean, and I don't want to be mean to people. I don't want to be mean to people. Beautiful day. I remember sitting around the table with family, looking out at the water, um, and I thought I'd gone to encourage someone, and I left encouraged. So I went on, and, and as I drove, I was just like, wow, this has been the most amazing day. I mean, I could, I could just shut off today and be done, but I had a lunch appointment. I've done all this before lunch. I've been to Nikiski, to Kenai, and now I went over to the flats to meet a guy for lunch. He asked me to meet him for lunch, and, um, and we sat down for lunch, and, and I was kind of waiting to see, you know, he called me and asked me to go to lunch with him, and I was like, okay, and so we talked about all kinds of stuff, you know, nothing really that was any significance, just, you know, little stuff, small talk, this and that and the other, business, whatever, and, um, and, and um, he had had some stuff happen to him that was serious, he was, he's fine, he's, you know, health-wise he's fine at the moment, but, but he said, you know, He said, I've learned a lot in the last few months. And he said, um, I just wanted to have lunch with you. I just wanted you to know that, that we love you and cherish you. That's it. I was like, wow, what a day. I mean, what a day. And I went on and, and, and I was able to see, you know, this is what God has done. And, and he's done it in, in just, uh, you know, as I looked at it and I reflected on it, I, I look at it and I go, okay. Here's a guy who's just doing his job. He's just doing his job. And as he's just doing his job, he's doing it in such a way that he's making Jesus known. Nothing extravagant. You know, he didn't even have to sit down and plan out a Bible study or anything. All he had to do was use his influence. steward then I go and and I get to see someone's faith who has suffered yet says this is what I want to come through my suffering this is what I want and and and, and she passed along passed passed in to heaven not too much longer after that and then 
you know, once with a young man, young dad, just kind of reflecting on what matters. You see, something that we can all understand is we're all going to suffer. We're all going to suffer. Be in different ways, but we will. And a lot of us, you know, when we talk about suffering in the room, you throw this down. I mean, I, I can, you can feel it. You can feel it in the room. You can feel it in the room when you start talking about it. You know, tremendous loss, hurt, maybe betrayal, or, or something along those lines. And you come in and go, yeah, I know what you mean. And, and just to understand that in this broken world, in this messed up, sinful, broken world, God says, you know what? You can't get away from it because we're surrounded by sin. But ultimately, know that not only have I redeemed you, but ultimately this world will be restored to what I created it to be. And you will be with me in eternity in a place that's perfect, where there is no more suffering, there is no more shame, there is no more crying or weeping. There's no night because the presence and the glory of God will fill the place. Wow, it's amazing. So, how do we suffer as Christians? We don't suffer as those who have no hope, we don't mourn as those who have no hope, but we mourn. And we hurt. And we go through it. But as we do, we do it knowing that the glory of God and the Spirit of God rest on us. And the hope that He's given to us is there for all things. So Peter encourages us. He encourages us. He's encouraging you today. Saying, stand firm. Stand firm on the Word of God. Because as you stand firm on the Word of God, it will pay eternal dividends eternal it will give you stuff that you never could imagine trust me to be with you and know that in the midst of everything that I am with you and that if you walk with me and you walk firmly and steadfast and true in the word of God even though you suffer you will receive a crown that's imperishable something that can never be taken away Let's pray. Father, we come before you thanking and praising you for the hope that you've given to us in the gospel, for the word that you've given to us, Lord, to know that, that in this broken world that as we suffer, that we don't suffer alone, that we don't suffer without hope, and that we don't suffer without purpose, that through it all, you will use it make us more like you, to draw us closer to you, and to draw others to you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we wrap up today, here's the, the hope as we come into that. Everybody suffers. Christians, non-Christians, everybody does. Bad stuff happens. But the message of the Bible is this. That Jesus, when he came and he died on that cross, he set in motion 
redemption and restoration. All of your regrets have been removed forever at the cross with the hope that he will restore you and you will start fresh in the very presence of God. That he will take everything that's messed up in our lives, cover it with the sinless, perfect blood of Jesus, and give us a hope in the future. That's, that's, that's the promise of God. When you come into the presence of God, you come into knowing God and receiving this gift in a very simple way. You don't earn it. You don't suffer for it or anything else. You receive it. It's simply by coming and saying, I give myself fully to Jesus. Trusting that he is the son of God. God in the flesh who died on the cross and bore my sin and shame and offers me his righteousness. And I receive that in faith. Faith that he gives to me and enables me to have. And he will hold me securely for all of eternity. Very simple. You don't buy it. You don't have to get good enough to come to him. You come to him just as you are. And he starts right where you are and takes you day by day by day closer and closer and closer to him. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the Bible. You can pray that. To Jesus today, you can, you can pray say, look, I've messed up. I know I've messed up. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting that you died and rose for me, and I'm going to follow you. I'm giving my life to you. That's all, that's all it is. That's it. It's, it's a fully, I'm fully submitted to you. Simple. If you've not done that, I invite you to do it. If you want to come down here, I'll lead you in prayer. I'll help you pray, whatever, whatever it is. You can call me up. You can call up one of the people in our church. They'd be, be happy to tell you about it. But it's the most important decision you'll ever make. Would you stand as Amy leads us?